All right, well, so uh, welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan. I am drinking a four-grain straight bourbon whiskey from Laws this evening. It is a special occasion. On the podcast tonight, we have Nate Nakow from Jersey. This is Montclair, central New Jersey, the place where a lot of things began in the history of the world. Okay, maybe American history. I don't know. Maybe Nate can tell us about New Jersey history. I only lived there for like one or two years. But so our stories uh, and our lives crossed paths a while back. You hear about that in just a second. We didn't really know each other that well at all. I think I knew your brother more than I knew you. Yeah, most likely. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, by the way, if, if you're new to the Brew Theology podcast, uh, what we do is we brew theology every week and we have new topics. There will be a topic after our conversation uh, tonight. This is going to be like a podcast before a podcast, but I think this is important. Uh, because Nate's group, as a director of New Jersey, was the first brew theology group outside of Denver. And wanted to give them some love, talk about their community. But before we do that, Nate, you uh, you wouldn't have done this five, ten years ago. So no, I would I, not have. I would love for you to tell the listeners your background story, because I think a lot of listeners have a very similar story, but yours is also unique because obviously it's your own. Yeah. So um, I started off... Uh, growing up in the church. Um, I actually started in what I would describe as a cult. Um, I know there are quite a few who wouldn't describe it as a cult, but I do. It's um, the Independent Fundamentalist Baptist Group. Um, and I was, I, I probably would say that's where I started my faith journey. Um, and I was there for a solid 20 some odd years. Um, and went to, I don't know if any of you are familiar with a school called Bob Jones University. That's where I actually got my, um, undergrad degree from. You drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid. Oh, I drank quite a bit (laughs) of the (laughs) Kool-Aid. Um, but actually side note tonight, I'm not drinking Kool-Aid. I'm drinking a, um, Blanche de Chambly from Unibro up in Montreal. It's delicious Belgian style white ale. Um, so that's what I'm. I'm having tonight. So, you know. so, yeah. Side note here. Is this cause like your love for hockey? You have to drink Canadian beer. You know what? I actually just love, you know, I'm not sure if it was the beer that got me into Montreal first or the hockey that got me into the Montreal beer. Maybe he's a this little, this guy uh, posts hockey posts more than I post Spurs <laughs> and Dallas Cowboys posts. <laughs> I appreciate well, it as just a sports fanatic, but I, I really don't yeah. like hockey, but the fact that you do makes me excited for you. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. I mean, I'm a, um, I'm, a, I'm a fan, so hey, fans got to appreciate other fans. Exactly. And I appreciate your, uh, your Spurs posts as well, though I'm not a... And there you go with the Spurs hat tonight. That's right. Um, <laughs> so anyway, back to my story. Um, after graduating from Bob Jones, um, kind of came back to the church, but was really quite jaded um, on a lot of it. And... Um, basically swung away from Christianity um, partially and then ended up kind of coming back due to one of my best friends who invited me to a church, um, a church that both you and I had worked for um, for a short time, though I don't, I think we overlapped by like, yeah, only... <laughs> it's, it's true. I, Cause I, yeah, your, your brother had worked there. Mm-hmm. And so, but you, I think you came back to visit and I was greeting up front. Yeah, so I think so. You're, you're, yeah, your mom and I, the first few weeks, were, were greeting together. I'm like, this is like the most hospitable woman ever, so she has to have great kids. <laughs> yeah, my mom is very hospitable. Um, 
Always inviting. And it's funny because, um, you know, Thanksgiving coming up, um, she, she always asks, oh, do you have any friends that you want to come to our family Thanksgiving? I'm like, not off the top of my mind, top of my head. But <laughs> anyways, so yeah, so I ended up there and that's kind of a, you know, the, the basic non-denominational church with some, some Baptist theological roots, I think. Um, and then after that, around the time that you started working there was when I accepted a position at another church that didn't quite have an identity, but it became pretty clear over the next few years what that identity was. Um, and they were going with the kind of um, neo-Calvinist, um, the, the Acts 29, Mark Driscoll, those folks. Um, and I mean, I, there, I, there is a distinction, right? I mean, for those who are listening, I remember there's, there's times even in our group in Denver where someone who's not a Christian, but doesn't have any background, they go, what is neo-Calvinism? What is Calvinism? And then those who are quasi-Calvinists in the group go, oh, there's like so many different streams and this and that. But, but it is a very particular strand that caught a massive like momentum in probably yeah. like the late 90s or even today. It's still mm-hmm. pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can is. You, in fact, can, you, can you describe a little bit of that? So I think some of the, the markers of these groups are... Um, a real big focus on doctrine, quote unquote. Um, they like to use that word, but it's it's a very particular style. Um, they talk very much about God's sovereignty or sovereign control, um, which is really what they mean. They mean absolute control. It's not so much sovereignty as it is absolute minute control. Um, and they, they they use a lot of big words like monergism and predestination and all those fun buzzwords. But essentially, um, I would say that the, uh, the identifier is a heavy focus on um, a particular interpretation of scripture. It's difficult for me to articulate. Um, I think having been in it and then come out of it, um, I have more just angry emotions toward it than I do any real clear identifiers. But um, I guess some names that are associated with that, if you're curious to read up on the movement, um, would be guys like John Piper, um, Matt Driscoll, uh, I'm sorry, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, um, and uh, Darren Patrick, I think was another writer's name. But anyways, um, so that's those guys. That's the church that I worked for for about five years. Um, And I was a children's pastor there. And then around the time that my theology started to break down in that group, um, I started going through a little bit of a a deconstructive phase. I reached out to you um, and shot you an email and basically sort of asked, like, what do you do when (laughs) you don't believe what the church you're working for? And just to uh, to make you feel better, there are others from that part of the world who have emailed me throughout the last few years. So you're not alone, Nate. <laughs> I guess I'm the guy that people go to when they're like, am I losing my faith? Am I going to hell? Like, eh, eh, I, don't, I don't care being that guy. That's fine. Because yeah. I'm, already, I'm already going there to some people. It's yeah. predestined. It's predestined. It's predestined. Yeah. Me too. Uh, spoiler alert, I don't believe in hell anymore. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and then that brought me kind of, like, I think your ev- advice at the time was simply, maybe you should just leave. <laughs> and I was like, um, 
I, I'm not ready for that. I wasn't I, thinking about your financial situation either. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly not. I'm like, I gotta, I, I gotta find a job. <laughs> yeah. Gotta pay the bills, Ryan. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, eventually uh, came out of that and um, got involved at, at Hillsong NYC. But I think that was sort of the beginning of the end for my um, time really adhering to Christianity um, as as it's sort of widely known. Um, I think currently I'm, I would still identify in, as some stripe of Christian, um, though it's, it's far more open um, and inviting of, of other faith dialogues than, uh, than it once was. But that's kind of yeah. my journey in a nutshell. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I resonate with that, except for the cult part. But then again, <laughs> what is a cult? I mean, it all, it all depends on uh, the perspective of the person in it or outside of it, because you don't really ever know when you're in it anyway. Yes, so true. right now, you would identify as a certain type of Christian, although not a traditional type. Right. You, do you still attend, quote unquote, church? Or, or do you want to redefine church? Because I feel uh, like when people ask me, Ryan, do you go to church? They have a certain thing in mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. And yes, so I still attend a kind of traditional church to a degree. Um, most would view it as a mega church, but uh, it's more of like a, a social group for me. Um, I have a lot of close friends there, and there are a few people there that I see eye to eye with, um, and I like to foster those those friendships and relationships. But um, one of my old colleagues from from a previous church that I worked at, he um, started attending. Jersey Brew Theology, and he was there the last this this past um, meetup, and he mentioned that he's actually a church planting trainer, um, looking into new ways of um, of starting church groups, and he mentioned that his perspective of what we're doing at Brew Theology seems more like church than what I think most people consider church. Um, so I would say both yes and yes. Yes, I still kind of attend, um, though not as regularly as I used to, and mostly just for the social aspect of maintaining those friendships. Um, and yes, I am also working to, towards kind of reinterpreting uh, this idea of church um, to be something that's a little bit more open and perhaps even more interfaith, um, where you can have these kinds of dialogues about various beliefs and not, and not alienate anyone. So, um, like my friend Mike said, you know, brew theology feels more like what the church should be than a lot of churches do these days. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing, thing there for a lot of people in the Western world is, uh, that they're allowed to actually be in a group where it's okay to say the wrong thing or maybe the thing that uh, they never would have questioned or they never would have uh, been allowed to ask. And then suddenly they're in a place where other people have the same kind of questions and thoughts. So next thing you know, it is, it is a dialogue and it's not one person on a stage telling the others what to believe. Right. So, I mean, yeah, cause at the end of the night, that's one of the things that we do and you guys do be like, there's really no, no one gets up there and say, okay, great thoughts, but here's really, where, where it comes down. Right. No, I mean, there, exactly. might, there might be several people who agree on, on things, but then, you know, others don't. And I think therein lies that tension that I think for years that I was aching for 
mm-hmm. because certainty is like a drug. And then after a while you go, this is, it's a drug. So it's, it's, I got to keep feeding the certainty, yeah. but then it's, it's unfulfilling. So then ultimately like, I, I like ambiguity. I like uh, the gray, I, uh, but I get why others are, they're like, no, I can't do that. I need the one person who's, te- who, who knows it all, who's telling us all what to believe. Yeah. So yeah, we're, um, oh yeah, it's, it's an interfaith, interreligious group and ours is in Denver as well. So for you guys in Jersey, for you to start this, which you started almost about, was it a year ago now? Close to? Um, close to, I think a lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the planning started happening about a year ago. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, how did that start and where are you yes. guys at now? Just kind of give, give us the whole spiel of Jersey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started almost a year ago and um, it basically, it was kind of birthed out of another community, um, interestingly enough. So my buddy Paul and I uh, were, Paul actually had organized this uh, Jersey Theology Pub and it was it was really kind of, Calvinist in its um, hearkening back to that part of the conversation. It's kind of Calvinist in hey, its um, ideology. One of, my, one of my best friends is a Calvinist. We've yeah. had a Calvinist podcast before. Yeah. I do remember that episode. Yeah, um, and uh, we actually have a a Calvinist in the group who's um, surprisingly open to a lot of the rest of our ideas because um, Calvinists aren't are notorious for not being open to other ideas. Um, but that's how it that's what it was. And it kind of died down a little bit as Paul and I started exploring different um, ideologies within Christianity. And then we, I think, individually evolved down similar paths. And it got to the point where that group just couldn't, couldn't be anymore. Um, And then you and I had gotten in touch with each other and started emailing and working on this. And there were a few other players involved in just getting this thing started and we had a couple precursor meetup meetups and eventually we just hit the ground running um our first topic was on origins and kind of the um we had one week where we were talking about science versus religion um and just sort of how each paints the uh, the origins of the universe, and then we had another the, the follow up discussion a couple weeks later was on um, the various ancient traditions and mythologies surrounding the origins of the universe. You had, uh, you know, the, the Hebrew Christian um, mythology, and you have the ancient Sumerian mythology, um, Babylonian the- uh, mythologies, and so we talked we talked about all of that, and it was great. It was a great start, and I think kind of metaphoric and that that was sort of the beginning of of jersey brew theology and it just kind of kept going from there and um and yeah we touched on a number of uh of different topics we went through um immigration and the refugee crisis um science and climate change and kind of the the religious and political divide um one of my favorite topics we we talked about was perennial philosophy um and and how all of our belief systems kind of are asking a lot of the same questions um, at the end of the day when you when you drill down to the sort of esoteric mystical kind of level, um, even though at face value they might not be, but uh, I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but yeah, those are uh, it's kind of uh, no, no, no. I, I think that's actually really interesting because you know in a way we have we have words right at the end of the day that's all we have 
And so uh, our, we have this semantic sort of understanding of a deity, whether it's the big other that's transcendent or that which was, resides within the ground of being, God is an event. And then lately we just recently talked to uh, Dilpreet Jammu, and he's talking about the source. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh yeah, every religion in every time in history has tapped into this source. And it's one of those mind-blowing aspects where conventional Christianity says, no, there's only one way. It was 2,000 years ago. Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, um, maybe God, consciousness, divine, the source, whatever you want to call it, because it's all about semantics, has always been trying to invade history. And, and yet, it has always been there. It's not about like this thing from the sky comes down, which is how we interpret it a lot. Like, yeah, this yeah. other thing has to come like, oh, perhaps it's been here the whole time. We just have yeah. different, a different uh, way of speaking about it. Yeah. I kind of go into um, the, the thing that I've been sort of wrestling with a little bit now is um, the the passage from from John's letter to the church and that phrase he used that says God is love and I'm I often wonder if maybe he's trying to kind of flip our understanding of God and kind of change the language a little bit and maybe God isn't necessarily a transcendent deity perhaps God is in the spaces between us where love happens we bring the divine into existence and that's something i'm just exploring at this yeah. moment i'm not okay. sure if i'm there yet or what well, like, what's, what's funny about that I, I remember years ago there was a song that we would sing in church and you're familiar because you've well you've been in churches that sing these types of type of anthem songs mm -hmm. and it was about welcoming god into this space we welcome you and i forget how it goes but i remember as somebody who was working in the institution, going up on stage after the song, realizing as I'm praying in between the transition times, thinking, why are we welcoming God in this space? Now, I didn't say it like that, but, <laughs> but the fact that God's already here, yeah. what are we, like maybe we're inviting ourselves to be awakened to that. Maybe, yeah. This, like I said, the space between, like love, yeah. love is already there. Exactly. Just every now and then, like, oh, the light bulb goes on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm, I'm loving the way I should be loving. Mm -hmm. But kids get this stuff. It's yeah, just, I think at least, <laughs> and then sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're just snotty nose, greedy little <laughs> bleepity bleep. No, no, no. I love kids. Come on, I've got yeah. two, and you were a kids pastor. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Uh, so uh, back to Bruce theology, Jersey, your chapter, what you've got going on there. Uh, what would you say would be the biggest challenges for anybody who is wanting to start a group, or? Is actually that just began start because we have we have several groups that are starting all at once, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. I've seen the um the the pages pop up, and I'm following yeah. them on on Twitter and Instagram, and they're people are being awakened. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah. There it is. It's it's been there all along. We're just having our eyes open to it. I know the, the breweries and the pubs are going. Yeah, guys, like we always have people come in here and talk about shit that matters. It doesn't matter. Exactly. Oh man, um, I would say. Uh, some of the bigger challenges um, it, it, for me personally, kind of uh, organizing and, and directing the group have, have been balancing the, the nine to five and um, keeping track of social media interactions and um, staying on top of scheduling and, and keeping in touch with our, with our group. Um, I'll confess I haven't been the best at it, um, but yet for some reason people still show up and still love being a part of the group. So um, I guess in spite of my own shortcomings, um, the group has flourished. Um, but I, I would say another, um, 
another challenge for us specific to New Jersey um, is dealing with the uh, the the kind of nuances of New Jersey's laws surrounding gathering in breweries. So we discovered early on that we're not allowed to publicize any kind of events that we would have at a brewery. So we got basically strapped to pubs. Not that that's a bad thing, but they tend to be far more expensive um, than meeting at a brewery. If we were to meet at a brewery, it, we wouldn't be able to put it out on social media or on the meetup website or anything. So, um, now, Was this a Governor Chris Christie thing or is this new person coming uh, in going to help you guys? I don't know. I'm hoping uh, maybe I'll write a letter to uh, to Phil Murphy and say, "Hey, man, uh, we we need some help." <laughs> but um, but yeah. So, uh, building relationships with the with the pub has been fantastic. Now we kind of had the the benefit of me already having a, a pretty close relationship with the owner of 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 the pub that we meet at, um, and then I'm also developing a relationship with a um, a restaurant nearby that serves some fantastic brews, um. So that we can kind of take this on the road. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Jersey or are listening and you're in Jersey, um, we're hoping to secure a spot that's closer to the parkway to make us a little bit more easily accessible because right now we're kind of nestled in... If you don't live near Route 23 or Route 80, you're, you're kind of SOL. But um, hopefully when we get closer to the parkway, um, we'll be able to be more accessible to, to more people around New Jersey. But... Um, yeah, I would say those are those are the two major challenges for me. But it's been it's been an incredible journey, and I think the most fun that I've had um, has been getting to know people of of varying backgrounds and beliefs, and having these conversations, and and being able to to kind of geek out on some of these topics. Um, that's been part of the, the probably the most fun for me. Now, uh, you guys have tackled quite a bit. So you specifically. Who's influencing you these days? What are you reading? Theological, philosophical? Um, I would say, well, we actually recently did a, um, a talk on Rumi. And um, one of our group members brought a book of Rumi's poetry. So I've been kind of getting into that a little bit recently. Um, I've also been reading, thanks to the, the podcast episode, uh, one of the podcast episodes on on Buddhism. been reading some Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, and uh, Richard Rohr is probably currently my one of my bigger influences, him and Peter Rollins. And then I also nerd out on the on like history and, and textual criticism. So Peter Enns is is a big influencer. And then I've uh, I've dived back into uh, into Rob Bell's stuff recently. Um, mm -hmm. He wrote that, uh, he came out with a book recently, um, What is the Bible? He says a lot of the same stuff that Peter Enns does, but, you know, Bell has this sort of poetry about, about him that... Yeah, he has a way with words. He does. And he has a way with white space as well. <laughs> yes, he does. Rob's always been ahead of the curve, right? He's like, yeah. he's creating the curve. It's just, yeah. that's, that's what he does. Well, awesome. So plans for 2018 for New Jersey. Do you guys have any topics coming up for the new year are you guys about to take a break i assume yeah we are um so we we're gonna have we're gonna schedule one in december and kind of take december as sort of like a, a month of rest well <laughs> for the group because you know everybody's running around in december yeah. um and then reconvene in january we're actually going to move to thursdays um come 2018 uh i feel like not just myself but 
most people in the group feel like Thursday is a better drinking night than Wednesday. So, because you go back to the office on a Friday, you know, only one more day left. Um, and uh, yeah, so as far as topics go, um, the one I'm look, looking forward to the most is um, sort of, it was, it was briefly mentioned in a conversation and then I kind of sat on it for a moment because we all kind of looked at each other like, ooh, that would be a good one. Because we were laughing, everybody was making some sex jokes. And uh, I was like, all right, the next topic is um, sexuality and spirituality. And then everybody kind of paused and was like, yeah, that, that's a real topic. Okay. It We're is. Do it. So that's, uh, that's coming. Yeah. I'll probably do that in yeah. January. Yeah, that was probably one of our most uh, well-attended nights, gatherings in Denver. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that'd be a good one to like, kick off the year with. <laughs> hey, man, why not? It's January. People are depressed. Mm. The only thing you have looking forward to at that point is the Super Bowl. That even then, like you're in New yeah. Jersey, so the Jets and the Giants suck. Ugh, yeah. As a as a Broncos and Cowboys guy, like yeah, nothing to look forward to, but there's always sex. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> looks forward to sex. Yeah, as an old, as a, as a former youth pastor, hey, sex sex night. Now that sounds dirty, but <laughs> <laughs> for those who are like, what is he talking about? We would, we would have uh, sessions where we would talk about sex. They want that, that, that sounds awful too. Yeah. <laughs> this, is what happens. this is what happens. Oh man, uh, the most the most well attended youth gatherings were the sex nights. Yep. yep. <laughs> oh man, out of context, this could be really bad. All right, now uh, Wild Goose, are you guys going to join us this year, Wild Goose? I hope so. Yeah. Um. So this past year, I took a chunk of my vacation time to go to Japan, so I wasn't able to to make it out to any of uh, any of the events, but. Yeah, I'm hoping to set aside some time this year. Do some theology beer camp too. Yes, indeed, yeah. indeed. So, when is it this year, anyway? Which one? The Wild Goose. Uh, oh, theology beer camp. I don't know. We haven't set a date yet. Okay. So, uh, trip. If you're listening, which you're probably not listening, yeah, he called me today and I didn't answer. Uh, we're trying to set something up. We're actually, we want to, we want to do a tour. Oh. Yeah, a theology beer okay. camp tour, Sounds and then uh, those like myself and a few others would kind of tour along. We'll yeah. see how this really works. And it sounds great in theory. And then we yeah. would create brew theology gatherings wherever we would go. That's cool. Yeah, that's the hope. Sounds, sounds apostolic. <laughs> sounds like something St. Paul would do. Yeah, uh, evangelism <laughs> with beer, baby. <laughs> I, I remember having friends of mine who are agnostic and atheist. And at yeah. first, they were wondering, is this, is this an evangelistic tool? Is this your outreach? <laughs> And once they realize, like, no, it's not. You can actually be here and participate. Like, it was more free for them. So yeah. there is, there's no bait and switch, which is the beauty of it. Yeah. But yeah, but there still is, like, that evangelistic vibe, that posture that says, sure, mm-hmm. uh, we want this to multiply because it's, yeah. it's good for the world. Yeah. But, yeah not, but not trying to convert your ideology, your belief system to mine. Exactly. Which is the tricky part. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, as we transition from this part to the next part, you, uh, you have a conversation with yeah. her dad, so can you kind of introduce us into that before we yeah, do the transitional music and Dan does the beauty of... <laughs> yeah, so um, recently we had uh, a guest speaker talk about um, the role of the LGBTQ plus community's role. Uh, I'm sorry, the role of the LGBTQ plus community in traditional faith environments. And because as we all know, um, traditional faith environments, particularly Christian environments, have been uh, pretty hostile towards the LGBTQ community. Um, And one of my really good friends um, and his daughter, we were connected at 
at a previous church and his daughter had come out as gay and the the conversation we had um at the pub was primarily geared towards her um growing role as somebody who's uh who's working towards full-time ministry um but our conversation we actually recorded a conversation as a follow-up with her and her dad that was really more their story and how they navigated um, her coming out. It's it's a beautiful story. Um, and I do want to preface it with saying that not everyone's story is like this. And um, unfortunately, there is the truth that um, many people go through some traumatic um, circumstances. But I think this story can serve as sort of an example, um, particularly to parents um, who are coming from a more traditional environment um, who probably uh, would be more concerned or worried if their child were to come out. Um, and so this kind of serves as, a, as an example of, well, here's, how, here's a healthy way to, uh, to help your child uh, navigate this. So um, that's, I think, the thrust of the conversation, though we do go into a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what we've got um, in that recording. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for doing that. I think it's an important conversation. Obviously, as somebody who grew up in a very conventional household uh, with a mix of people and now friends throughout the years who have slowly began to come out. And I I think this is, yeah, this is critical. And for some, they say, oh, this is something we should get past. Well, newsflash for those who call themselves quote unquote progressives, like not everybody is where you're at. And here's my beef with people who are progressively liberal or labeled that way as somebody who's more swimming in that world is that you think that everybody should be where you're at. Well, guess what? We live in Trump America. So the reality is we have a world that's, or Western world that is pretty 50-50. So let's have some grace. And uh, yeah, this conversation is important. So uh, thanks, Nate. And for those who are uh, who are listening, just make sure you go on iTunes, rate it, review it, share it. We are at brew underscore theology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at brew theology. There's a website and you can actually look at where Nate sat on there and the meetup link there, brewtheology.org. You could also be a partner as well because, hey, we're all about spreading the love, baby. All right. Thanks, Nate. Thanks. <laughs> oh, man. So um, we'll go around the room real quick. We'll introduce ourselves. Name, uh, kind of your theological background, um, where you are currently, and what you're drinking. So uh, I'm Nate, and uh, my theological background is sort of cult-like. It's um, independent fundamentalist Baptist. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I uh, kind of transitioned out of that into sort of the, the non-denominational evangelical thing and then became a neo-reformed Calvinist for a while. I guess it was uh, the, the sort of Mark Driscoll, uh, Matt Chandler camp. I was there for a couple of years and then transitioned further from there to sort of a classical Arminianism and Wesleyan Arminianism mm -hmm. and then open theism and now kind of just seeing where where I go from here. Currently, I'm something of a Christian who practices faith through a Buddhist lens and I kind of just take in uh, whatever I can where in my my mentality is love is the key to everything and that's who God is. God is love. So therefore, the more loving something is, the more godlike it is. And currently, I am drinking a local beer, very local. It's like right down the road from here. The Imperial Pilsner by Romstein, which is a High Point Brewing Company, which is what, just like 
It's is it's, it on George Street? It's two blocks away. Yeah. Oh, is that right down the street? Yeah, right on oh, the corner okay. there at the old rubber mill. Oh, oh. I love that place. Um, and <laughs> I've got the Imperial Pilsner here, and it is delicious. It's very refreshing. Pilsner's perfect for like a hot August day. So, and that's that's what <laughs> that's it is today. right now. Yep. So why don't we go ahead and uh, head this way? Okay. I'm Joe Endress. Um, we, we're probably, we talked a little bit maybe about this room that we're in, but this, <laughs> where we're sitting in my, in my comic book den, my, my man cave, my, it's, a beautiful room. it's really geeky in here. So oh, it's the best. Darth Vader <laughs> is looking down in, in, in pride at us. <laughs> so my, I guess my theology background is I, I've run the gambit of your traditional churches. I was raised Catholic. And then I uh, spent some time in a Baptist church where I considered myself uh, saved, recognizing the, the deity of Jesus. From there, I went to a Nazarene church and then to a uh, Dutch Reformed church, to an Assemblies of God church for about seven years where I was very actively involved. Ran screaming out of there into more of a non-denominational <laughs> church. Uh, where I was for a number of years uh, as my kids were getting older, and then we have found ourselves lately at an Episcopal church, uh, mm-hmm. where we've been for uh, two or three years now. So, uh, so we we've seen quite the spectrum of uh, of Christian teaching, uh, everything from the very the very strict doctrine to the very love yourself doctrine, mm-hmm. you know, and everything in between. And it's it, it's just interesting how God speaks to you at different points of your mm-hmm. life. Oh yeah. Um, so where where I'm at today, I, I don't know if I'd really define it as all those isms. You're you're, you're <laughs> far more clever than study than I am. But my my faith has really boiled down to simply um, to simply three statements that that God created us, God loves us, and God wants us to love each other. And everything I believe in Scripture reflects off that. I can totally get behind um, that. So that's that's the simplicity of of my faith and and where I've been. And you know, it's been every stage of life has been a learning mm. experience, and certainly the past four have been tremendously for me. Yeah. Um, so I'm drinking a Line and Kugel Summer Shandy. Um, I it's my favorite beer. I am gonna miss it desperately because this is one of those seasonal things that just yeah. comes and goes. So I'll probably shift then toward uh, I like Sam Adams cherry wheat in mm. the in the fall and winter. And we also just found a Scottish brew that we really dig from the Orkney Islands okay. called Skull Splitter, uh, which we just found at a local place. So I'm probably oh, going to switch nice. to that. It's a nice heavy. Because you guys just got back from, yeah. from Scotland. Yeah, and we yeah. actually went to that brewery, and, oh. and they didn't do one definition of beer wrong there. Oh, it was, they, had, they had a red and a light and a lager and everything in between, and every one of them was just fantastic. Nice. So we were lucky to find the Skull it. Splitter. So um, so I'll, I'll shift over there. But, yeah, wrapping up my summer shin. Now. Cool, cool. So. All right, and on to you. <laughs> okay, my name is Amy. Joe is my dad, and my, I mean, I'm 22, so I'm a bit younger, and most of my theological background is a repeat of what my dad just said. So I was dedicated, I think, in the Nazarene Church. Yep. Um, and then we went to the Reformed Church, the Assemblies of God, non-denominational. Um, I went to a Catholic university in, in the Bronx, Fordham, and... That was really, it meant a lot to me to be kind of formally trained at a Catholic institution. Mm. I studied theology and religious studies. So lots of Catholicism there, even though I came from a more evangelical Protestant background. And then 
we started going to the Episcopal Church, which is actually, they describe themselves as a liberation community in the Episcopal Mm. tradition. So they look a lot different than a lot of the Episcopal churches. But the best thing I think, and I'm a confirmed Episcopalian, I'm really into the Episcopal Church. I'm starting a year of service with the Episcopal Church, um, but kind of my whole life right (laughs) now. But the best thing about that denomination for me is that they focus on the middle of the way. Mm. So even though our church doesn't look like a lot of other churches, they still can find that common identity. Mm. So I'm entering into a higher church, what they call the higher Anglican tradition. So I'll be spending time there and getting more formal training there. Very cool. Yes. And I'm drinking water. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, what are you having for the (laughs) I don't like beer. No. I don't. I just don't. Yeah. Well, go get your wine. (laughs) (laughs) My wine, wine. (laughs) I mean, my wine is embarrassing, too, for people that, like, (laughs) know anything about wine. I'm a college student. I'm like, get me the cheapest bottle. I don't really care. It's not even in a bottle, It's in a box. (laughs) (laughs) I just... The, the quicker I could kind of get my dignity down, the better my financial situation You know what's was, funny? So. Uh, so I just saw wine in a can, a rosé in a can. Yes, I've had that. You've had that? It's bad. Yeah. It's not good. Of course it is. I can't imagine it would be good. It's like... Out of a can. Oh. Amy, you were our, our guest speaker at the pub last time, yes. and the... That was honestly like the your story was so needed, I think. And uh, we had a few people there that were really incredibly blessed by it. And uh, so so I just wanted to ask, like ask you to kind of share some of that. Um, since you are our guest speaker um, at the pub, you're also our um, our featured speaker tonight. Although yes. this is this is all of us talking. But it, yeah. it really, I really wanted want to talk about your experience and mm-hmm. even Joe, some of your experience as her dad through through all of this. So. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, and share some of your story with us? Sure. Well, I've always loved church. It's always been really important to mm-hmm. me. There were moments that our house, house is haunted, as you can tell. Oh, no, yeah. It's a total <laughs> um, not really. But um, <laughs> I would still believe it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but from when I was really young, church was really important. I was the kid with the most stickers in Sunday school. I knew all the words. I knew the Bible verses. I knew the whole thing. And I loved it. Even when I was little and I really didn't want to go to the three different meetings that we had a week and sit for hours on end and listen to prayer requests as a six-year-old that I just didn't understand, it was always really important. And that didn't change even when some painful experiences started to happen. I was always quiet, had long hair. I was very feminine and girly. That was just something that made sense for me. So when I started around 12, to start kind of realizing that there was something different about how I was feeling towards other people, particularly boys in the way that the girls around me were feeling. Um, I knew that it was different. Even when I was starting to feel those things, it wasn't necessarily like a battle instantly. It wasn't a, oh, I need to feel the way that I'm feeling towards other people or I need to be the perfect little child in Sunday school. That wasn't an issue for me for a while. When it did start to be an issue was when I kind of was in high school. There was some other teenage angst happening. (laughs) And I started feeling very much alone. 
there wasn't a lot of distractions for me. Like I said, I was always quiet and I had some bullying issues really early on in high school. So it made me distrustful towards people Mm -hmm. in the first place, but I still had people around me. I still had people that cared about me always. And in the same time that I started not to trust people, we had gone to the non-denominational church and I always had trouble finding friends there. I didn't have the group that I always had growing up in the Assemblies of God Church. I always felt like I had my friends there, I had my sister, and I had like my best friends there. But when we moved to the other church, I didn't really have that church community. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't have a school community. I didn't really have the, those people around me. Mm. So I started feeling very much not in any camp at mm. all. It started becoming more of a thought to me as I spent more and more time alone. I think that's natural. If you don't have a lot of people around you, you're not doing a lot of things, you start thinking about yourself. And as I was doing that, it became very, very clear that I couldn't keep ignoring these things that I started feeling around 12. Mm -hmm. It started becoming very clear that I couldn't really hide it. Mm -hmm. So if I were going to reach out to people and I was going to be having those heart-to-heart conversations that you have with intimate friends, I knew there was something about me that I didn't want to share. And I didn't have even the words for it. I didn't know how to come out to them because I didn't want to. I didn't want to admit to myself. It gets dramatic in parts because, I mean, I was a teenager. Like, everyone's really dramatic (laughs) as a teenager. So in the same vein, though, I would say not all teenagers are like thinking before they get on a roller coaster or they get in a car alone for the first time. Like they're not thinking to themselves like, oh, if I die on this, then it means I haven't put into action what my thoughts are. I'm good. I'm safe. Maybe this would be a good thing. I was never like really dramatic. I was never, I never felt, I shouldn't say dramatic. I, I never had those kind of depressive, really, I don't want to be here thoughts. And I'm blessed for that. But I definitely did have these very isolated moments. But I knew that I was gay. Mm -hmm. And I knew that my church couldn't handle that part of myself. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I couldn't continue on in a faith life with people around me because there would be something that would isolate me there. And I knew that I didn't want to abandon my faith and go in the completely opposite direction. That's when I started seeing a real battle between these two parts of myself. That's when I started having a lot of difficulty. But by that time, I was going to college, Mm -hmm. so got better. Yeah. Um, And by now, I mean, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Happy endings happen, whatever. But that, yeah, it it has a lot to do with the faith that I was raised. And that's sad to me because I don't I don't think now that it's a contradiction at all. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that because like looking back on on our time because we came from the same church. Yes. And uh, I still remember, honestly, you were one of my most faithful volunteers. <laughs> um, and I, I kept thinking like, oh, man, it would be really cool if we could get Amy to, to get more involved in this, this or this. But I think one of the challenges of a church like that, these kind of churches on the cusp of, of like a, a massive size, you know, that are that are growing, that are thriving in evangelicalism, they start to adopt a lot of the corporate mm. stuff, like the, the baggage that comes along with, with businesses, particularly like commercial type businesses, because they're trying to like sell a brand. One of the things that I found in both your story and in other stories after leaving that church is that sense of not belonging 
And it's interesting having been on the other side of that thinking like, yeah, I want to get this person more involved in this program and I want to get this person more involved in this program and not even stopping to think. And it could have just been my way of doing ministry because I know there are others, you know, at my church, there are others in, in leadership who who take time individually with people. But it, I found it so easy to get caught up in the program and the structure and to like put people's names on charts and just look at it that way that, that I forget about the community and I forget about the necessity for somebody to feel valued and feel like they have friends and connections inside of that. And, and that at the end of the day, if all of that structure disappears, the church should still exist. But I kind of feel like I realize I'm on a tangent, but I kind of feel like so many churches these days would disappear if those structures and those charts were mm. no longer there, that mm. the connection is missing. So uh, I don't want to follow that rabbit trail because that's an easy one to go down. So I'm just gonna gonna stop right there. <laughs> but Joe, I wanted to ask like your experience through some of that, and and we'll kind of come back around to uh, to Amy's story further. But your perspective on on that time in in her life, where where were you, and how did all of this transition you into a into a new place? If it did, well, I, you know, as 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 her dad, um, one of the things I'll say is I worked a lot. So I wasn't always here or as present as her, her mother was. But I did begin, there were a couple of things I began to observe about Amy. Because you, you do try to pay attention to your kids and where mm -hmm. they're at. And I knew that she, I knew that she dug church. She's a great student. Um, you know, the grades were just awesome. I felt like sometimes she probably stressed herself a little bit too much over the grades, but that's that comes from her mother. So that was <laughs> that was just bound to happen. So that's just genetics. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I remember early on that that concerned me was that she she was spending a lot of time alone. Mm. And I think even like even now, like there's a chair we have in our living room, and she just always she's been curled up in that chair for years and and that's one of the strangest things is you know come monday with you moving to connecticut that chair is going to be suspiciously empty and it's <laughs> going to be odd um, but i know many many days i i just thought it was odd here comes saturday here comes sunday when she should be out with friends and doing things and having a great time and everything and she just didn't seem to have anybody uh that she was tight with and it didn't make sense to me because she's a very friendly person she's always been very you know very open she never doesn't have a mean bone in her body i just couldn't quite figure it out other than she was uncomfortable being among people but she was in all these clubs so she would go to club meetings and she would do a lot of volunteer work um, but there wasn't, um, there really wasn't a lot of personal mm -hmm. uh, attachment. There, there was a time briefly, if if you don't mind, my I'll tell a couple of stories. <laughs> there was a time briefly that she did date. Can I not talk oh, about no, that? No, no. <laughs> I won't. Just, I won't name names. I feel bad. Yeah. In, in retrospect, I feel bad because I knew I was not interested at all. She was going through the motions. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, and me as a dad, I'm looking at it saying, "That's a strong girl. You know, she just she knows what she wants, and that's fine. And she's okay with keeping this guy at arm's length." But I didn't really understand why. You know, um, the the couple of boys that she did date, why it was just like, nope. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> 
you know, fine going to the movies, fine going to this or that, but just was not interested in in uh, in going further. And I just, I, I really, I remember I began to become concerned that, wow, she may have some real blocks socially. But I also remember saying something very early on about Amy. Amy was a high achiever from the second she came out of the womb. You know, she was walking at eight months. She's reading the Wall Street Journal while you were in kindergarten, you know. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you were. Um, <laughs> that's, that's about as overachieving. Yeah, as Yeah, she's reading. You know, she's reading Harry Potter in kindergarten and stuff. Like that. So I, she was way ahead. And I remember saying to my wife, "This kid's not going to be happy until she hits college." And then she did. She hit college and immediately starts to make friends and click in with people. And and the whole world kind of changed for mm-hmm. her. And I think Amy found that as the opportunity to really say, this is where I get to hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. This is where I get to get the life that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Take the best of what I have, the achievements in school, the love I have for Christ, and now begin to be myself socially and those who can accept me for exactly who I am that's mm. cool they can be part of my life and those who can't that's okay too I'll mm. say hi to them mm. and you know but that's what we began to see so something changed certainly when she went to college did you, you know? f- did you feel that because it's interesting when we when we first got back in touch with each other yes. and the first time I heard your voice again on the phone yes. I was like this is a completely different person from who I remember. Yeah. Like yes. it felt like a did you feel like a reset at at some point? Yes. And it was conscious. Yeah. And I it was completely conscious. Mm-hmm. Um by my senior year I I really could count no people that I felt intimately comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that was partly my fault. I can admit that there were some people that really did reach out to their credit and I just I didn't accept it, but a lot of it was just what was going on. And so I started saying to myself, I can hold on until I go to college. Mm -hmm. And there was some worry. Um, I was still kind of feeling it out when I went, but I made it, I went, like I went to the mixer of queer students that Mm -hmm. they had. Like I I made sure that I did that Mm -hmm. because I remember telling myself, like working myself up to this, like you told yourself you would do this and this is your chance to do it. I don't know other people's stories. I know very few people. I know the people around me, but I, I feel confident in saying I'm definitely not the only one. Mm-hmm. And though there's a kind of damaging stereotype that like, oh, well, you go to a liberal college and then you become queer and like you turn a different way. N- no, not always. N- very few times. Sometimes, like in my case, it was I was holding on until then. Mm-hmm. And then I felt like, oh, I have a life. Mm-hmm. I have a chance here, even though maybe now I know in hindsight it was safe for me to come out. Mm-hmm. At that point, I didn't know. And suddenly I had a new family around me. I had people that were ready to stand in front of me, whatever mm-hmm. came my way. So that's something I had a question about because I, I, I realized I didn't actually ask you at the pub. So you came out in college? Yes. Was that okay? Gotcha. So it was yes. pretty recent. Yeah. Okay. My sister was the only one um, that knew before I went to college. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she only knew when I graduated high school. Wow, so that's the it, it's interesting putting all of that timeline because I'm I'm sitting here thinking about it in those terms because your family has kind of popped into my life at like different stages <laughs> yes. and um and so I'm trying to like figure that out as well and that really fits in, into some of that narrative mm-hmm. of of that sort of that reset button mm-hmm. and that's that's a powerful thing but I kind of wonder like for some of those kids who who don't have and this is where I'm going to ask you for advice you know uh, for some of the kids who don't have that 
that opportunity to step into a new environment like mm-hmm. that. Um, do you have any thoughts that you might you might want to share, or mm-hmm. do you have any friends that that might have had a similar experience? Mm-hmm. I have some friends that weren't given the opportunity to tell people as they wanted to. Mm-hmm. I had pretty much complete control. I had people in my life that would ask me before they told anyone. Mm-hmm. They kept this for me to tell. So there are a lot of people that were outed. They mm-hmm. told some people that turned around and told others, and that's harmful. Yeah. That can be really hurtful because you don't get to have the big conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't get to sit down and say, I have something to tell you, and I need to know that you love me. Mm-hmm they don't get that opportunity that I had. And that that's always really upsetting. Mm. It's always really sad. So your advice would be to make sure that you can absolutely trust the people that you're sharing it with as you start to come if out. You, mm-hmm. If you can. I mean, there are always decisions that we make and people that we trust that turn out to be the people that we can't trust. Mm. Um, there are always relationships that end badly and people turn around and use that as a weapon. Yeah. I mean, it's upsetting, it's really sad. In those situations, everything that I can say is hindsight. Mm-hmm. Everything I can say is, I'm sorry that that happened. So I'm not I'm not sure, I think it would be being careful. Yeah. I think there's a really harmful culture kind of surrounding the need to come out, people demanding people to mm. come out. I don't know everyone's situations. Yeah. It's important for me to live openly yeah. because I am safe and I can. Yeah. I like holding hands with my girlfriend because I don't know who's watching, but I want to take the chance that someone is watching us who needs to know that Mm -hmm. this is normal and we can have healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. I can do that, but other people may not. If I was in a really harmful environment, I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that would be safe and that would be good for me. So I think taking your environment as it is, not being afraid to do exactly what you need to do. And figuring out what's safe and healthy for Mm -hmm. you as an individual. Turning it towards the topic of the church. um, This is is a big question that just popped into my mind. And uh, and it's not like we didn't prep this question at all, but it's something that I was was kind of wondering about. Do you think, as somebody who is heavily involved in the church currently, Mm -hmm. do you think there is Uh, where this sort of thing can just be normal and people inside of these traditional environments when their sons and daughters come out that it wouldn't it wouldn't be such a such a huge transitional moment but simply like okay that's part of growing up figuring out who you are do you think we could ever get there i hope so but as of now it's not normal and i think that's something to pay attention to we're not at a stage that we can kind of have the conversations that people People sometimes joke about like, oh yeah, you're gay, and what else? Mm -hmm. Um, It is still very important. Me being a gay Christian, the first word is very important to me as a faith identity. Like, it still comes into every piece of theology that I consume, Mm. because it's not the norm. Yeah, It just isn't, we're not at that stage. So I think listening is still so important. I get nervous when it seems that the answer is to just ignore it until Mm. we can figure out how to make it normal. It's still important. There's still a reason that we're having this discussion and I'm a guest speaker and not just whoever is on the street as a Christian. So I hope that we can get to a really normal point. Mm -hmm. I think my story for all the complications that it may involve, I think my story is one of the closest things that we can get to people saying, okay, and? 
Um, Let's move forward. And you want to be a ministry? Great. Mm. Like, my story is the closest to that that I've found. But, I mean, I've still run against people. I've still had to unfriend a whole lot of people that were just not going to be happy about what I'm doing. Thank you all for listening to part one of two with this conversation from New Jersey Brew Theology. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amy and her dad. Thank you, Nate, for doing this. And we will see you next week for part two. Peace.